It's a black white mass incarceration show. I am your host, Sierra Cobb. Black white mass incarceration show is a space that is used to uplift the unheard voices of the criminal and social justice issues that many face today. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Black Light Mass Incarceration Show. This is another episode of the life of a lifer inside incarceration. And today we are going to spell on the conditions of a lifer inside incarceration. And I'll start off with that the education is limited. And that's for traits, um, trades for plumbing and welding, masonry and stuff like that, which will be good on people's credentials when they get out. And also uh, programming. Uh, they rather put them through certain psychological programs and it still not be a benefit for them after they go through the program. Because that's like, it's like miscellaneous. For me to go through something, and it's not going to benefit me at all. So basically, that they're just sitting here and not getting nothing. Sitting ducks because it's right away. And the prison system doesn't really care for it. And over the decades, They've been saying that they want to offer this and that in this program to try to help a lifer to get their sentence reduced to some type of reentry or parole. And it seems like they have, or they keep overlooking it. And uh, people with double-digit numbers is kind of going through the same thing as a person with life. A person that has 20 years or better, they, their education is limited too and benefits, and programs. So they're kind of in the same category. Today's show, we're going to talk about how that's affecting a lifer and a person that is considered to have life with double-digit numbers. I know we have an interview from a person that he's explaining how he's living, what he's been through, hoping that bills pass, certain bills ain't, and it seems like the legislature is not really paying attention to uh, that really putting a, a hook into this, the prison system. And I know my wife, she got some more information concerning these bills. Well, first, I want to kind of go back to what you said. You said that a lot of people who are serving life can't get in certain programs. And so from what I've been told, that the reason why lifers can't do a lot of the work programs is because they have life. And so when you have these work programs that have certifications, your certifications only last for so long, and if you have a life sentence, therefore they feel like you will never get out, so you won't use those certifications. So that's why they feel like lifers shouldn't have the ability to take certain work programs. But to me, that contradicts the system because if you have somebody who gets legal help and they find all technicalities in their case, which a lot of cases are like that, and it's overturned, in most cases it's overturned life without parole, but then some people go on to continue to fight and then they end up getting out. So if you are denying them of critical classes that could help them 
in their recidivism when they return to the community, then you're doing a disservice to not only the community, but the person incarcerated because you can't say, oh, well, you have life and that stands and you'll never get out. Because as we know, the criminal justice system, I'm not going to say it's broken, it's working how it was designed to work. But we know there's a lot of things that go on and people are convicted for crimes that they did not commit. So saying that you can't do this because you have life is doing such a disservice to not only them, but the community. Because when they do come back out and you've served 30 and 40 years, you've missed decades of everything. So you don't know how to do anything. And therefore, that's why you have the recidivism. Because people are scared to live in a world that they've been out for so long. And when they come back in it, it's just very overwhelming. So if you are preparing them, no matter if you feel like they have life, no matter if you feel like they're going to be in prison for the rest of their lives or not, you still need to prepare them. They still should not be denied of any type of access to anything of that nature. So, yeah, that's how I feel about so that. So ain't that like, ain't that like they already set them up for failure, like they wouldn't even never intended to help them? Because it's like, the, it seems like the, <laughs> they designed the system to not really care anymore after that. Like, they ain't giving out no second chances. Like, they just never even thought about, we're going to give people a second chance, period. So when they did the prison system program, it really wasn't thinking about giving people second chances that got life or double digits. Because it's like, back then, before they did 85%, 65%, a person with a life sentence 25 years was considered life. So, boom, they still had programs to these 25, after 25 years, they still had programs for these guys to go through. Today, they they wiped them out. So, it's like that our government system in North Carolina got worse when it went to 85% than it did when it was 65%. 65%, you had more health. A lifer had more health. A person with double digits had more health. So, it was like that... I'm trying to figure out what's their plan today because it ain't today it ain't, ain't the hell. In America, they believe that life means life. Like I was when I was talking to Andrew, who was another podcaster that interviews serial killers. He was saying in other countries, life could mean thirty years, or it can mean forty years, or even twenty years. But over here, life means life. That means for the rest of your life, you are incarcerated. That's the difference. But yeah, I mean that's what I'm saying. 65% back then in the 90s, in the late 90s to early 2000s, life meant 25 years. We was on that tight time. We was, we was on that tight time. But as soon as Beverly Perdue and all them came, they want to change it to 85% and they took that privilege away. So what was the idea? Like, what was, what was y'all intent when y'all did that? The intent was now you to... Want to serve keep people incarcerated so it. they could continuously make millions of dollars off people's body autonomy. You got to remember, we're still in the South, and the South is going to operate the way it did 400 years ago, to use black and brown bodies to get free services so they can make millions of dollars for the state. That That is the reason why life is life here. Like That is the reason why it was changed. And so they used the excuse that, oh, well, we're letting these people out 
too early and they're committing crimes and coming back, but they're committing crimes and coming back because, for one, you're not giving them any rehabilitation at all, and then, two, you send them right back out in a community where they couldn't even thrive the first time because you're not resourcing the communities. You're tearing the communities down so you can keep people in prison like it's an illusion that the United States wants you to believe, oh, we have all this tough crime and we have to do this and that about it and the only way to fix it is to lock people up for the rest of their lives. That is not the answer. It has not been the answer and you're not reducing crime, period. But anyway, on that note, we're going to go to a commercial break and we'll be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show. So we were talking about how the system, the government, is not caring about a lifer and its stability. And I'm feeling, though, that I am in slavery. <laughs> to be honest, because I feel like I'm getting the same... I'm getting the same treatment as a as a slave from back then because they ain't giving an opportunity for change, man. They don't, I don't think that they really want us to rejuvenate to a better person. And I think that's an issue when it comes to North Carolina or any prison system that's in the United States of America. And I mean, I ain't going to say that other states don't like California. California, they do petitions, try to stand up, try to make better ways. New York, they do the same thing. You got other states that do that, too. So I'm hoping that they bring their stuff down here and help us out because we really need it really bad. And at the end of the day, that these lifers, including myself, I got double-digit numbers myself, that I'm looking for a way to make re-entry programs so people have second chances to a new, better youth and a new, better life. So this life situation is a prime example to this. And they try to cut all ties to those benefits. Only people with nonviolent charges are really getting the help partially that they need and getting the most attention when they the ones that's really coming right back to prison immediately on nine months post-release, 12 months post-release. They ain't really, really taking programs serious because they don't have that serious time. And I feel like they're giving too much, um, they're giving too much attention to that and not the right attention to where it needs to be. Because I'm pretty sure 80% of the prison population has extended sentences double digit in life whatever and they keep them for cattle insurance money and I don't think that's fair to any of us and when they still can reap the, I'm not I'm not saying it's good but they still can reap the same benefits as if we was on the street because regardless they're going to still get some type of income off of us because we're still in the system you, you feel what I'm saying though babe? like right. you know yeah because you're still on probation or parole, so you're still considered yeah. a part of the system, whether it's nine um, months post-release or 12 months post-release. Or whatever they, because I done heard some, I done heard guys say they've been on pro, 
probation for, th- for three to five years, you know what I'm saying? So, like, it ain't, it ain't no way y'all can't say that they can't make a better program to put people out on the street on some probationary status. You know what I'm saying? There's always different statuses to put a person on different levels of re-entry into society. Housing and different. Because they do it for the feds, but they ain't fluently for the state. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can have different levels of prison. You can have stuff looking like a home so they can still get used to living in a home, going to a refrigerator and stuff like that, or going on the front porch, looking at cars. It's just that's a whole bunch of stuff you can do to get our person's mind back on track. You know what I'm saying? So, like, it ain't the end. It's just that they don't want it. They don't want to do that. So I feel really bad about guys in positions like me and lifers and et cetera, because the benefits are none. Slim to none, and people are really suffering. And I feel bad because a lot of nonprofits ain't doing what they need to do when they sit here saying that they want to get this money to have recidivism or reentry and et cetera. And they ain't doing that. We ain't got no post conviction nonprofits. I mean, we don't have no true or well, we don't have enough. And the ones that we have say they don't have enough funding because you have a lot of people who have a long sentence like my husband who could have had life but still ended up with just as long of a sentence that still basically could give him life in a sense. So trying to get more motivation from different states that have like all of these campaigns going on to end you know, to give people second chances and to end wrongful conviction. Um, Because I know we have a lot of people in North Carolina who have so many wrongful conviction cases and claims, but not enough legal help, just like we're looking for legal help for my husband. And it's hard to find, especially when you have plea deals. Like you have people who could have a life sentence, but they took a plea deal, but then the plea deal still wasn't, I guess, enough. It was just still overly sentenced. So trying to help people get out from under these egregious sentences that North Carolina has given people knowing that they were innocent. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, you got some people that take plea deals because they lawyer pushes them to take the plea deal. They influence them. They tell them that this is the best interest when it's really not. Like my situation, they said that that was my best interest or I would get be put on death row. So a man thinking with no legal experience, you be putting on death row, you're going to be like, hell nah. Of course you're going to go through with what he's saying because that's your legal counsel. So a lot of people that don't know the law or have a legal counsel on the side, of course, they stand for nothing. They don't know nothing. So, yeah, the odds are always going to be against a person that doesn't know nothing about the legal system or what direction they should head in. Of what to even look for in their own emotional discovery. Well, because they always got to rely on their own lawyer. Well, let's let's take you for example. Like you knew what was going on. You knew that the lawyer didn't have best interest, and you told him that. But by you not having backup, because I wasn't around at that time, by you not having 
a team behind you to get behind your lawyer to say, hey, you don't have his best interests at heart or you need to do better or you need to do this and do that. That is the reason why you so said that you felt defeated was because you just got tired of fighting by yourself, knowing you were right. But the way they made you feel was like, oh, well, you got to do this time or you got to do that time. This, these are the only two options you have when you had more options. And so having lawyers that are more trauma informed and having lawyers that really want to fight for their client, because I need for y'all to understand, and I'm talking to the attorneys, I need for y'all to understand that this is not just a job. You don't go to school for eight years and rack up all this debt for this just to be a job. Do not pick being a lawyer, if you do not want to seriously advocate, you're supposed to be the advocate. That is what a lawyer is, is an advocate for their client trying to save their life. And if you don't believe that you can be an advocate 100% and advocate for this person saving their life, then you don't need to be a lawyer. Because these are people's lives you're playing with. Not money, not change. People's lives who are losing their life to the system because you don't have an attorney that wants to stand up and do the right thing when he knows that the prosecution is trying to railroad somebody. You got to you gotta stand up for your people. If you want to be an attorney, especially a defense attorney, it is your job to be an advocate. It is your job to save somebody's life. Whether you believe they're innocent or not, if you see errors and you see misconduct, point it out. Stop letting the system not only screw you, but screw the clients that you are representing because it's just a job for you. It's not just a job. It is somebody's life. Please understand that. And you're charging all this money and taking from families. And then you still don't give them the correct legal help to get somebody free. That is not right. And it's not fair. And I'm tired of people coming to me telling me they've spent thirty and $40,000. That is a life savings to get their loved one out. And nothing has been done in North Carolina. I'm tired of hearing that. So please, lawyers. If you're going to be a lawyer, be one and be a true advocate. Because I'm an advocate. I'm not even a lawyer. And people come to me all the time saying they need help because they know that I will actually fight for them. And I'm not even a lawyer. So I'm going to leave that on that note. Okay, anything you want to say, babe? Sorry. That just gets me fired up because it's just ridiculous how many people are suffering and families are you spending their life savings to get a loved one out when they were railroaded or wrongfully convicted and you still don't have the correct help because the attorney that you're hiring just thinks this is a job? Well, yeah, because they kind of took advantage of me not knowing exactly what's going on in my case. And I think it was unfair that they pressured me to take a plea the best of my interest, saying it was the best of my interest because they had another person or if they wanted to sacrifice for me based off of my history prior to a murder that I wasn't that I wasn't guilty for, I was innocent. So they feel like that me being innocent for that previous murders, they want they didn't want to let me go for this situation that I'm innocent in as well. So they decided to gang up on me and get my lawyer on task, which he agreed to do. And if he was a right, good lawyer, he would have been against that. And he would have fought for my right because he knew I was innocent in my situation. And that's what my wife is saying. That's what I'm saying. 
they got bad public defenders when it comes to that. They're not making conscious decisions, right decisions, when it comes to situations like that. You know what I'm saying? And they went to school to pinpoint things like that. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because, I mean, we already know most lawyers is post-conviction. They know how to, they defense attorney. So they know how to prove a case against the prosecutor. That's their job. That's their job. You know what I'm saying? Not to side with them and work with them. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, yeah, I'm, like, totally in agreement when it comes to lawyers need to be real mentors because they're really not. You got a little bit percentage that's, that is and a large percentage that's not. So, yeah, I was doing wrong when it came to that. You know what I'm saying? Even though they knew I was innocent, they knew that. They even repeatedly told them that they don't even think I was a shooter, but we're going to make it seem like he is the shooter. So when I heard that right there inside of the courtroom before I signed the plea, I already knew that the odds was against me, and I, I didn't really have no help. But tell them why you let signed me fire it. my lawyer. Tell them why well, you they, signed I, it. I already said that. I said why I had to sign it because they said it was my my best interest. That's why I signed it. What, what, what is, is there to stress? There's that's called I didn't have any help. They forced and they co- did coercion to make you sign that plea, and that's what a lot of people go through. Right. Well, yeah, that's what I was explaining. If they know the, um, my situation, but they felt like they needed to do this because you got a detective going running against me. He keeps saying that I'm a thorn in his side for so many years, but, like, you look at my record, my record don't even match what he's saying. A lot of mine got, a lot of my record got a lot of disputes or argumentations or... I don't even really have a robbery on my record. Like, I could see if I was a person that was known as a robber, but I ain't known as that. It's not even on my record that I'm known as no robber. I got lost me from a person. And that was the only thing that I ever had on my record as far as taking something from somebody. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, as far as me being violent in that way, yeah, no. And yeah, I was forced in that plea. And the only way you can be forced in that is they don't fire your lawyer. And it got a lot to do with the judge, too. Because mm-hmm. they the decide. The judge should have seen that, too. Yeah. The judge, judge saw that. You know what I'm saying? He seen what, what was going on. He still refused to do that. So that let me know that him, uh, the, the prosecutor, and my lawyer, they was all in the same thing. They was all in the same favor, like... And that happens around the United States every day where your defense attorney is on the side of the prosecution when they're not supposed to be. But that's what happens when you have so much corruption that's not done anything about. But you said you want to tell us about a friend of yours? Well, yeah. God, like, well, I, what I'm saying, like, I got a, it's a lot of dudes in here that I, you know, I'm in here with that got life, of course, because I have to be According to my time, I got to be around certain a certain conduct of people. So people with most, a lot of time, got to be around with people with a lot of time and lifers and stuff like that, you know. A lot of these guys kill themselves. A lot of devil digits and lifers kill themselves because they feel like they don't got no hope. They feel like they ain't got no help. And that ain't cool. And it comes from non-support. It comes from people not 
caring about their people anymore because they might think that they're guilty. They might think this, this, and that, but it's not fair. I want to tell people that they need to, instead of judging them all the time, they need to step up and try to be here a little bit. Even if you think they're guilty, but you don't know if they're really guilty or not, you still need to kind of be here because you don't want your people just killing themselves because they feel hopeless. They feel like they ain't got no way up out of here. But when I come back from commercial break, I'm going to tell y'all a situation about a guy that was neglected by his family. They ain't up coming back because they found out something new. But he almost killed himself in there. So I'm going to tell y'all about that at the commercial break. We'll be right back. Before we left, I was explaining about how uh, it's important for uh, people's loved ones to kind of be a supportive system. People that got life and extended sentences because of the fact that killing yourself is a, it's starting to be norm, a normal thing for these people to find a solution to go through. And that ain't right. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's because you might think or assume that your loved one did it and they might not did it. Like, cut all communication off is like, really not, that's not good, man. They, because they really find the solutions with committing suicide. And that ain't cool. And the, this guy that I met, man, uh, about two, three months ago, He's been down for about nine to ten years. And his people cut him off. And, and people that don't see you no know, money or whatever, it's it's hard. It's really, really hard because you got to survive off the food that they feed you. And nine times out of ten, it's not even enough or it's not eatable. Or a person want to, it's not appetizing to eat. Look at it, it's not, you're not going to want to eat it. Long story, make this short. These people cut him off, and he wanted to kill himself. He'd have tried. He tried to kill himself, and it, and it just didn't work. So, of course, they put him on suicide watch for about three to six months. He went through that process, finally came out of the treatment, and went, came back to general population. So, you know, been here ever since then. But he got a letter in the mail from a appeal lawyer because he got a life sentence. He got a letter from in the mail and the pill lawyer saying that some um, the person that really did his crime wrote an affidavit saying that they did his crime. So, of course, that's excitement, good news. And he sent it to his people. And when his mother and their read it, they immediately wrote him back, put money on the phone all of a sudden, and it just came out of nowhere to start come out, they want to talk to him and stuff like that. But he was like, man, I'm trying to tell y'all that I didn't do that. You know what I'm saying? Just because we was going through what we was going through in the streets doesn't mean that I was stupid enough to go out there in the streets out of anger to go do no stuff like that to some to some people that he don't even know. You know what I'm saying? And now they want to be here for him. And, of course, he needs that love, but he also feels betrayed it, you know what I'm saying? But he could have lost his life. Now, his people would have read in that newspaper that he 
killed yourself. I wonder how they feel right now. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I say that you can't judge. Because you, you think that your loved one, just because he be in the streets or he's known to be doing this or he done, done, done this, but that don't mean that he's capable or he did do this. So you got to always take into consideration about whether he did it or not. Just be there for your family. Family is family. You know what I'm saying? No matter what it is, it's family is family. So don't ever just put your family in the dungeon. Because I wouldn't want none of my loved ones just to commit suicide. I ain't accept inside of a cell or on the side of a bed post. You know what I'm saying? Would you do, would you babe? Would you, would you be feeling that? No, I wouldn't. I, just, I mean, no matter what, you always supposed to support your family members, whether you agree with their decisions or not, because we all make decisions that everybody's not going to agree with and nobody is perfect. So you still have to, to give support. You never just give up on a loved one in any circumstance. Right. So through the eyes of a lifer and through the eyes of a extended person with time, they solutions nowadays, 2023, is commit suicide with no support. And when I say support, they don't mean financial all the time. Support means mentally, spiritually. Somebody to reach out to and talk to about when they're going through what they're going through. And you need some coaching. That's what mentorship is. So people got to learn that we need those too in prison. Whoever out there listening, you got some status, you might want to consider implementing mentor programs inside of prison too because people need uh, some mentors, big brothers, big sisters, they just need somebody to convert with. It'll make their day much better. I agree. You got anything you want to add to that? No, I mean, you summed it up. Like, <laughs> there's nothing to add, but I agree. And just support your people no matter what. You, you really do. Like, because the system is really not working with us. It's working against us. To keep people stagnated into the mind of a criminal. And criminal is overrated because I just can't put a title on behavior. You know what I'm saying? That's what basically the society has did. It put labels on people's behavior, mm -hmm. expressing emotions. And they keep putting these different titles on it, making it seem other than what it is when they need to be really paying attention to the reality of it. And the reality of it is counseling, not punishment. Punishment is not something that you do to a person because they did something bad. It's either going to make them either worse or drive them to another point to do something even worse to themselves. So the more the story to this for mass incarceration, for a better programming is people need to advocate for better mental health treatment when it comes to situations and solutions to problem solving. And I think that we have really took advantage of that and made a profit off of problem solving for punishment and imprisonment. So that's what I'm going to end the show with today. And hope that y'all listen to this interview and be coming up with a person's situation as a life. I hate trying to fight and get his way back into society. Do you want to say that? Enjoy and support.
And um, I want to shout out, lastly, California, who are major downloaders of this podcast, New York, Georgia, everybody that's supporting this podcast. We thank you and we appreciate it. And if you have any ideas or any help, please get in contact with me. Um, I'm Sierra at emancipatenc.org or Sierra Cobb at carebearfoundation.org. Or you can find me on Facebook. You can find me on LinkedIn. Please, if you have any advice or you would like to come to North Carolina and help us help people with wrongful convictions, please reach out. We are in desperate need of help, and we appreciate all the love and support. All right. Y'all have a good one. Take care. See you next time. Thank you for coming on Black Light Mass Incarceration Show. Um, you can start with your name, location, if you feel comfortable, and let us hear what's on your mind. Okay. All right. Um, my name is Jacoby Walker. Um, I've been down 11 years. I'm uh, serving a life sentence um, for murder. But I really want to come on here today to try to talk about, you know, the effects of the three things that life has really deal with. Uh, first is dealing with the housing that we have to be accustomed to, you know what I'm saying, for this long period of time um, until any of our appeals get through or, you know, any type of relief is given to us. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is basically just uh, the options that we have available to us um, in regards to being allowed to, um, you know, use our time and learn, you know, what they call themselves, trying to rehabilitate us. And the third thing is just to told that it takes hearing and seeing other states deal with their population as far as any type of reform and, and dealing with life sentences or early release programs um, in regards to our state with North Carolina. Um, but the first thing I would like to talk about is basically when I first failed, the, the, the prison system has shifted. It always shifts every decade, um, but it has shifted tremendously since I've stepped being incarcerated since 2011. The principle of, you know, you're starting out in close custody, the benefits of that is being having your own single cell, you know, you learn the movement of a prison, but the biggest toll that I feel is negative towards anybody that steps into the prison system with a lot of time is that when you leave close custody, going to medium custody, um, it takes you away from having the seclusion, you know, to be able to get away from people because most medium custody camps and even minimum, they have open dorm settings. Um, that is, it's not it's not productive for us, you know what I'm saying, because you're afraid to be around a bunch of people, you know, all the time. You can't get away from nobody. You can't close, close your door and, you know, be, be in your own zone. Um, 
because they use two dorms that are single cell in reverse to three dorms that are open dorms. So you have people in here that are, you know, maybe going home within months. Um, you have people that are going home in a couple of years. But there's a lot of lifers there this camp. So what I've seen and what I've experienced in my own eyes is that, you know, if you go to a single cell, you got to walk on eggs and needles, and cells, and you got to be, you know, very, 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 very skittish. Um, it's just as far as trying to live and trying to do something that is, you know, productive in your own set. But what they do is they use that single cell and open dorm set on the same camp as a retaliation movement where they can easily kick you out of a single cell and put you in the open dorm. They call it, you know, you're going back to, like, the, the, the hood, you know what I'm saying? And that's not kind of productive just on the aspect of the mindset, knowing that, hey, I'm, I'm living in a, on my own room. I'm living in, you know, a place I can go shut my door. Um, I can be away. And to know that you bounce back and forth and use with that type of leverage is, is kind of, this whole totality of the prison system that I'm seeing as I've been down for 11 years. Close custody is a big difference from medium custody, you know, and in a public eye, they want you to succeed. They want you to advance. They want you to, you know, be able to make improvements before you be able to be released out of prison. But dealing with life sentences, it's almost as that door may come open, that door may one day um, come, but when you look around and you hear the news of how slowly and how deniable that North Carolina is as far as trying to give us the really reform that other states are really trying to push for, it's like it may not never happen, but just the location where we, how we live is, is, is a total setup, and it's only made for a disaster because everybody should be able to have that time to get away. This is, this is already a seclusion lifestyle anyway, so when you're basically given a, a window to say, okay, well, you're going to be here, but you can't get away. You know, you can't be away from the, the BS that goes on everyday prison life, which is like a mini Jared Springer show every single day, 24-7. Right. And I'll be able to think. We need that time to think. Um, every, every individual that you want to rehabilitate in the quotes that they try to say, need that time to get away. You need that space that you do not get. On a daily basis, you're being watched. You're already being watched by cameras. You're already being watched by officers. But the, 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 total, the total thing that we have to understand, we're being watched by us every day. And most of the time, it's not for good reason. This is a, a soap opera, as the world turns, I said. Um, every camp I go to, I just use it in a general term, you know, as the world turns. People, old, older people used to watch the soap opera back in the day. Well, I call it, you know, as coin turns is where we're at now. Um, and it's an everyday thing that's a reality show, but it's forceful and it's not beneficial. Um, and you can see with the name changes that they keep going beyond back and forth with the Department of Public Safety, Department of Correction. They're not correcting anybody. Most of the time they're making monsters out of people. They're making people resist even trying to relate to other people because you learn to hate people. You, know, you learn to 
Throughout these doors, not throughout these doors. 
have people sitting here thinking about, well, what are we really going to do? There's nothing to do. When you hear that 15 minutes, 20 minutes away from us, the prison we're at is not offering the same thing a camp that's 30 minutes away is offering. That hurts the mindset of a person with my time. It may not affect the person that's going home in two months or six months because they, they feel that, oh, well, I'm about to get out anyway. You know, I'm about to leave y'all guys. And when you hear that, you be like, man, you don't try to let it eat you up, but it eats the person up with all time um, because it really is an insult to even allow well, our ears to let it go into our brain and then go down to our heart and understand like that, man. Like, we really not even offer, you know what I'm saying, anything, but they want us to be on our good behavior, want to be on our, you know, strong man stuff. But when it comes to making us strong, it's a hurtful thing because usually when a person gets strong in a prison system, it's usually because they're taking a lot of stuff over the time and they have to basically harden their heart. So I wanted to come on here and just give the, the, the outlook of what a person of my caliber, you know, and any other people. Okay. All right. So the, the last thing I really want to keep with uh, a pinpoint on is administrations. Um, administrations at every prison, they have their tools that they use, you know, against other inmates. You know, they try to pin us against each other. That's the same thing in the world. You know, you've got people that um, can break a family down. you got people that they can use to help get information. you got people that you can turn for the good or the bad. But the administrations on these camps that we're dealing with, a lot of them never was the officer. They never had the, inter the daily interactions as far as being, a, being in charge of people. These people have the power to kill you. They have the power to get away with it. They have the power to push you in the right direction. They got the power to pull you in the wrong direction. But what we see over the time is that these administrations, they use tools in the wrong way. And we already know how organizations work in the street. Um, you, know, you protect your employees. You protect the people that work for you at all costs unless that person is a repeat offender, you know, or they do something drastically that you may have to cut ties with it just for the political aspect of not being retaliated against, you know, being talked about. But when it comes down to a person or administration that oversees us, our, our health, our safety, and our well-being, to see in the time period of how bad this facility where we are now at Warren Correction, North Carolina, it's a tremendous, it's a tremendous, detrimental state for the whole North Carolina prison system because even other administrations across the state talks about this prison. They talk about the inmates that come from this prison. They they, they laugh and they be like, well, you don't want to go there. And that's not bad. That's not good to even hear that your life is being put in a, in a position like that when you're trying to fight to have a lease day. You're trying to fight to go home. So for us that are dealing with this here as, as with our time we got to deal with. A lot of us want to go somewhere else, but you don't want to go backwards because that's usually what you have to do to even get away from a place like this. And it's sad that you have to even go backwards to go forward. And, you know, people can look at it in the world when you tell your family, you know, I'm thinking about this, saying forget it, you know what I'm saying, and getting in trouble to leave. And they'd be like, well, don't do that, don't do that. You know, you got a lot of time. And I'm like, well, yes, that's the principle. I have a lot of time. So they don't understand when I say, well, I'm going to go backwards so I can take a step to the right and then I can go forward 10 steps. 
for the state that has go around and they and they make these uh these bondings and they make this pressure to put on people to make sure they're doing their right job instead of trying to use us as you know tools to fight their mission. But the biggest thing they use in prison is to help to have the inmates fight against other inmates. You know, and a lot of it be lies, a lot of it be hate, a lot of it be just cause trauma to fit the administration's agenda. But it's a sad thing that, you know, this is what they use lifers to make that to make that battle. They don't use people that come to their facility for two months and then they're gone. Because they don't have time to actually look in you know and talk to them. But I've been pressured to, you know, say stuff. I've been uh, looked at and I had to really go off and I had to really get locked up to even you know, be still standing here and, and, and struggling to try to make my men because they feel that certain people who had a lot of time was in to their agenda, which is a very tricky thing. And I, I try to let people know that this is another aspect of what they do with us, you know, because they feel in the old, the person has as much time, they're going to be here for a certain amount of time. So they would, they would test you, they would try you, and they would try to let you be the horseman of their agenda, which most of the time messed up because the only time that administration should have issues is when they're not allowing the, the population to do what they need to do. And when they put that stuff in the news, you know, when you have prisoners doing riots, you have uh, officers being hurt, um, they always put in the news. It's, 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 uh, they don't ever want to give you the truth of why this situation started. But I'm going to give you one example just so you can everybody can know. If a person comes into prison and their record is clean for 10 years, let's say they got a life sentence, mm -hmm. and they haven't had no assaults in their record, so one day, all of a sudden, this person just jumps on an administrator, jumps on an officer. People should not even look at what they put in the news from their very start. They should really look at what that. Well, why this person just now just, you know, do this? There's a reason behind every action that a person tries to do in prison because a lot of us don't want to go the wrong route. They don't want to, you know, a lot of us try to think, even we try to beat ourselves in the head and I'm like, man, I don't want to do, you know, crazy stuff just to accomplish this mission. Us, with all this time, we fight this every year. We fight this, this thought, you know, like, man, I'm not getting nowhere. Where am I going to be at in five years? If I'm going to be in a good standing when they do pass a law and, you know, it's a, a belt buckle, a write-up's going to, you know, cost me my uh, mask if they do come back and, you know, give me a time because and everything like that. So that's that's the type of stuff that a lifer has to deal with in regards, in regards, you know, how sincere it is and in regards, you know, how a person has got a year to go. We, we're on another level, um, which is, is kind of a bad thing because a lot of more stuff is put on our shoulders to uphold the prison population and the system and you know, to keep up the people, you know, keeping this job because they feel they got job security for a lot of people having a lot of time. But it's a, it's a very tricky thing. I like people out there in the world to know that we're struggling with. And it's not going to stop unless more things are put, you know, in a positive sense on our side. Because right now, they're catering to the people that are having short time. They're catering to the people that can use these schools to boost their financial, you know, pockets up and denying a lot of lifers that are willing to do something, you know, and trying to do something better for ourselves to one day
Right. So let me kind of recap for the audience of what you're speaking on. So what he's speaking on, audience, is the fact that lifers have basically really no opportunity inside of prison to rehabilitate themselves. And if the floodgates were to open, that they would be able to be a productive citizen on the outside. I think that the system tends to look at those people like they're throwaways and that they will never get out. And that is not true. You never know when the floodgates will open, when you will have that opportunity. And you are right. Like North Carolina doesn't have enough help um, to help people with long sentences, with life sentences, with sentences of 20, 30, 40 years or more. So what we are trying to bring attention to, and this goes to a lot of our followers that are in California, Texas, nationwide, statewide, we need y'all's help. We need some help in coming up with formats and formulas to help get relief for a lot of people inside of our system. I also hear Mr. Jacoby asking for a call to action. Um, He wants to be transferred out of that facility and is having no luck. Um, So we need a call to action for people to call Raleigh and explain. You hear him crying out. You hear that he's wanting to go somewhere better so he can do better and be better and get involved in different programs that the current facility he's at is not offering. So please, you all, we have to do what we have to do to take care of our people because we are their voice. Um, The system tries to make them voiceless. And as you heard him say, the media is good with only telling one side of the story. They never want to humanize the person that's incarcerated. They never want to figure out why they did what they did. They just tell you, hey, they they did something to a CO, but they're not telling you what led up to, to that incident. Really, we, we need to help our lifers, and we need to help people with long sentences because incarceration is never going to be the key. It's definitely not the key during inflation, and things are not going to get better. And keeping people incarcerated is not going to never stop crime. That will never stop crime. Giving people resources in their communities is what will lower your crime rate, not mass incarcerating people at all. Like, that doesn't help. So we need help. So everybody, please jump in and and come in and give us your help and ideas and helping hands because we need it in North Carolina. And we want to thank you, Jacoby, for um, just blessing us with, that information and giving us an insight on how it is to be a lifer and what it's like and how sometimes it just feels hopeless. Yes. That's, we, we all have to share our voices. If, if we don't speak out to the world, nobody will ever know what really goes on between you all because this is a business and they shield a bunch of different things to keep the public in one perceived idea perception about what really goes on but I'm happy to let everybody know and I thank you for allowing me to use my voice and I hope it keeps spreading because we need more people like us that are willing to give our voices and willing to be you know spoke about and willing to be heard I, I thank you very much thank you for telling your story we appreciate it so thank you again for tuning in I hope you enjoyed today's show your host Sierra Cobb. Take care.